0: Hi, and welcome to the Renovate podcast. My name is Robert Newberry, and I'm on staff here with Renovate, which is a ministry in Fort Worth, Texas for young adults. This week, I will be speaking on the gospel's antidote for controlling your unnegotiables. We hope you enjoy. Doing? Mm. Man, it is good to be here. And if you don't know me, my name is Robert Newberry. I, in three days actually, uh, roll on officially as the director of operations uh, for Renovate. And so I'm excited. You're stuck with me, um, but it's great. Um, and I get to speak to you guys tonight. And I get to speak to you on the topic of controlling your unnegotiables and what the gospel's antidote to that is. And what I mean by that are the things that aren't the surface-level stuff. They're not the things that we sit back and think like, ah, I don't really care a ton about those, but they're the things that are deep-seated, the things that we think we're not gonna be happy in life without. And so we're gonna talk about specifically what it does when we take that control into our own hands, why we do it in the first place, and then finally, how do we give it up. And 100% transparency, I was sitting in a meeting thinking about like, okay, how does this really resonate with me? Like I was thinking, how does this really kind of hit home for me? What are the ways where I can share what's been going on in my life where I struggle with control? Um, And I was kind of coming up short. And there were these moments where I was struggling to think of ways where I deal with control. And I definitely didn't intend it, but it was like the Lord was like, oh, you don't think you struggle with control? All right, let's chat. And for the past week, He has just been tearing away layer after layer of ways where I think that I am good. And what I learned from that is you don't really find out you have an issue with control until you feel like you're out of control. Because when your life is going according to plan, you can just chalk it up to everything going good. Like if you don't have to fight to gain autonomy over your life, you don't feel a need to. And so you think it's all just a part of the plan. So that's what I was going through. Like, I was trying to struggle through different ways. Like, I remember a time when I was two years old and, or some, whenever you learn how to talk, and my first sentence ever was, uh, I was trying to tie my shoe, and my mom came up to help me because I'd never done it before, uh, and I actually swatted her hand away, and I was like, no, I can do it myself. Like, first sentence ever, that was it. Um, To all the way fast forward to now, where I actually, like, physically get a headache riding in the passenger seat of a car because I feel like I should be driving. Um, And so, like, I was like, oh, those are good examples. But then the Lord was like, no, 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 no. You struggle with much more. And we're going to dive into that in a little bit. Um, And so, like, if those small things don't do it for you, like, we all have those things that are near and dear to our heart that maybe we haven't had touched on yet. Maybe we haven't discovered just what those unnegotiables are or they haven't been challenged. But some ways where you can kind of think or kind of discover what they are in your life is by having them tested in everyday situations. Like, for instance, it may sneak up on you when someone has to see your phone, and you don't have a passcode on it, and all of a sudden you get this, I don't want to give you that, because you can see stuff about me that I don't want you to see. Or you'll, even if there's nothing bad on there, like you can discover things about me that I am the only one who gets to be the gatekeeper for. Or maybe you, your boss stops by your office and says, hey, let's have a chat later. And you get hit with this wave of fear. Nothing's gone wrong. You haven't done anything. You haven't messed up. But you have just this looming sense of fear behind you that your boss is going to say something bad. Or maybe you're overcome with anxiety when someone asks you to speak up because you're worried that you might say something dumb and look foolish. Or maybe you act a certain way in public refusing to do anything embarrassing or that you would consider goofy Because you feel like your future spouse could walk through the door at any moment and you don't want to miss your shot. There's so many different ways where we have this compulsive need to feel like we take control. um, That it's just pervasive over our lives. And I think the reason that we hold on to these things so tightly is because we feel like we're the only one who really cares. Like we feel like we know deep down in our hearts that we want our own happiness. Like I am clearly for Robert. Like, I will do anything I can to make sure that Robert is happy. It's called selfishness. Um, But in that, I know that if I am fighting to keep things in my hand, I'm fighting to keep things going down the right path, or so I think. And so who could know better than me? In my hands, I trust the outcome of my life much more than anyone else's. So we take control, we fight for it. We do all these things, whether it's manipulating situations like, if you really want to go out that night, like, you want to go somewhere super fun, and your friend's like, no, let's just hang around, and, like, stay at home, you try and manipulate the situation to get them to feel like staying home isn't great. Like, you can be like, ah, oh, dude, when I was driving up last week, like, I actually saw your grown neighbor having, like, a tea party with Muppets in his front yard, and it's like, I just don't feel safe there. Like, that serial killer stuff, like, I've seen, like, true crime and all those other documentaries, like, there's something wrong there, so you should probably get out of the house and come with me, because that'll be great. Um, Because Muppet tea parties aren't the best. Um, And we just do it. We try and manipulate everything in our life because we think that we're trying to get our way. And we think that that's going to lead us ultimately to happiness. Because who could know better than us? Who could know what's going to satisfy us better than ourselves? Yet at the same time, if we're really honest, guys, we make mistakes. And it's written into our culture that we don't always know best. Whether it's terms like the grass is always greener, or we get buyer's remorse, or the saying, be careful what you wish for. There are all these phrases to kind of touch on this issue that maybe you can be searching after the wrong thing. Maybe you can be living your life in such a way where you don't actually know what's best. And we do it all the time, and it, wa- and it puts us in a place where we wind up feeling like, where did I get so lost? Where did I go wrong? And it was those moments where we try to take that control into our own hands. And so we're left, this, we're left with this question of, okay, if it's not in our hands, where do we put it? If we aren't the best place to put our own control, then where do we go with it? Because I've seen the world. I've seen other places, and it's pretty dog-eat-dog out there. And a lot of times, I get taken advantage of when I trust others. A lot of times, I get the short end of the stick. And so if I'm not caring for me, who will? And I think for us, the answer is found in Matthew 16. And so if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Uh, It's Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. And it says this. If you don't have your Bibles, it's up on the screen. It says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his own soul? Stop right there. So it's almost like Jesus knew we were going to struggle with this. It's almost like he could see into our own hearts and he's like, mm, these guys are going to have to be reminded that they got to die to themselves. And so what he's saying here is basically, real simply, you aren't the one who's going to give you life. Your ways, your methods, your pursuits aren't going to be the thing that gives you life. It says, if you would seek to save your own life, you're going to lose it. You're going to go down the wrong path. You're going to take the wrong step because you make the wrong decision sometimes. We aren't perfect. Ben said it from the stage up here. We are imperfect people. I am sinful to the core, and in that, my sinful mind leads me down a direction sometimes that isn't right. And so what Jesus is saying is an act of love and care, and he's saying, no, 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 no. You don't know the answer. So instead, turn and give it over to me because I paid for it. I died for it. I'm the one who sacrificed everything so that I could guide you because I know what's best for you. So turn to me. And so we're going to get into some real practical ways about how to apply that in um, two big points. But before that, I want to give you an illustration of what it looks like when you try and keep that control and it's thrown in your face. Um, and it's kind of built around one of Satan's most active playgrounds in our, in our culture today. Um, and that's this little show that you might have heard of called The Bachelor. Um, stop it. Stop <laughs> it. I can't begin to express how much, like if I had time just to get on a soapbox about how evil The Bachelor is, I would. Like I would take the whole 30 minutes and it'd be great. Uh, And you'd all leave converted, it would be the best. But I won't, so I'll just give you three reasons. Um, The first of which is that it's literally a show about watching people have the worst emotional meltdowns of their life. Like you are putting these people in a confined area with other people who are vying for the attention of one man or one woman, And they have to live together and look at each other the entire time while they're going through it. Like you see people go off on a date and then they walk past all the other like 14 other losers, I don't know, who didn't get to go on that date and they're like, "Mm, it was awesome. And they just have to sit there and it's the worst. Um, (laughs) And so the second reason is that it's like the most anti-gospel picture ever in the world because it's basically like, "Mm, there's 15 of you, who's going to do the most to earn my love? Who's gonna win? Come on, challenge, compete for me. It's the best, it's awesome. And you watch these people do everything they can to try and earn affection from someone when that was never meant to be the way that it was supposed to go. And the third and the most astounding one to me is that it fails so much. Like if any business model or any other reality TV show that set out to accomplish a goal failed like 80% of the time, they would be cut. But because it's a, an emotional dumpster fire the entire time, the network's like, oh, it's great. You know, it's fine that they all end up in divorces, and, like, it's basically an episode of Jerry Springer every time it comes on. Ooh, forgive it. It's not bad. It's okay. Um, so that's why The Bachelor's evil. Um, but in enters, uh, entering into the story right now is a text message that a group of my friends gets um, a little while back. Uh, and all it says is, all right, boys, it's time. Very cryptic. And then, like, the image uh, attaches later, and what it shows is a completed application for casting for The Bachelor, and it has my name on it. (laughs) I don't know whose cruel joke it was, but the first thought that went through my head, I really hate to admit it, was, well, maybe the bachelor's not that bad. <laughs> and in this moment, it was like, ah, you know, Lord, is this how you're really gonna work? Like, I don't know. So, like, is this gonna be what you have for me? Like, I didn't do it. So, it must have been like the Holy Spirit moved in someone else in order to make this happen. So. And it was this moment where everything that I had stood for, everything, like I, I'm pretty sure I've had arguments with people in here about how bad The Bachelor is. But all of a sudden in this moment where I had an opportunity to take control in my own hands, everything that I stood for, everything that I thought was good in that moment didn't compare to a deep-seated desire I had. And in that moment, I was left with this realization that there was another area in my life where I needed to give up control because that was that moment for me where I had an opportunity to take control into my own hands. And it showed me just how much I really cared about what I was pursuing in that moment because I was much more willing to compromise because I felt like that desire I had hadn't been met on the timetable that I thought the Lord had for me. And so in that moment, I was like, all right, Lord, if you haven't met it, maybe you missed the the train, so I'm going to go take care of it myself. And I I looked at myself in that moment, and I was like, yeah, this is a struggle. So where do we go when we're confronted with these moments? How do we actively walk out what it looks like to lose your own life so that you can find it in Christ in these moments? Because I got to tell you, I thought in that moment, that I was doing the thing that was going to satisfy me most. Like, that was my thought process. It's like, God, I know what I want. Like, I prayed to you. I've talked about it. Like, this is, what, this is what I feel is right. So how do I really know that you aren't asleep at the wheel right now? How do I know that you're going to take care of me? And we're going to get into more specifics, but the first point is that have faith that your God is for you. Um, and if you still have your Bibles open to Matthew six twenty-five through thirty-three, and it reads like this: Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, for what what you eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, or what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air; they neither sow nor reap nor gather. Into barns, And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what will we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And what God is saying here is that he is intimately involved in the care of our lives. And that question that I had of like, God, have you missed the train? God's saying, no, 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 no. I care about everything. I know enough to uphold even the grass of the fields. I haven't fallen asleep at the wheel. I'm doing something different. I'm working something out in you. And so, like, our goal is to trust that our God is for us. He's comprehensive in his care. Because all those questions, all they boil down to in the end, at the root is, can I trust you? Can I trust you to turn this over? Because it's something that I care deeply about. Because in that moment, I wasn't concerned about how my day was going. I wasn't concerned about, you know, the next meal I was going to get. I was concerned about a lifelong trajectory that I thought I had. And God answers us in this moment when we ask that question of saying, I am concerned even unto the very depths of every minute of your day it's not just I'm here for the big moments. I'm not just showing up at the times where you really need me. I'm here through everything. And if you want proof that he's here even for the big moments, Psalm 37, four, which says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now I wanna provide a little, little clarification here. God isn't a genie. Like the key part of this verse is the first half where it says delight yourself in the Lord. Like we don't come to God and say, "All right God, I'm going to do this thing up until the moment where I get what I want, then I'm out." Like I'm going to do the Christian thing, I'm going to go to small group, I'm going to show up on Wednesday nights. I'm going to do this thing just so I get what I want so I can check my boxes and then I'm good. Like I'm going to give you control right up until you give me everything that I want and then I'm taking it back. Cuz that's not what our God is about. In his care, he is so compassionate. That he knows that outside of him, even if we get all the things that we want, they're not gonna satisfy us. They're not gonna be these things that give us true ultimate joy. And so that's why he's wrapping all these commands in delight yourself in the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because our God knows deep seated at the core of every single one of us, underneath all these desires that we think are the unnegotiables, is that he is at the center a relationship with him is at the center. And talking about losing our life for his sake, that's the true answer to our satisfaction. And in these moments where we have this question of, God, are you for me? He answers yes, because I'm not just going to give you the things that you think you want. I'm going to give you what you truly need. Like a great father who doesn't let his kid eat candy every single day, He's not just gonna give us the things that we, that we think are gonna add value to our life. He knows us, he created us, he made us for a purpose. And in that, he knows what satisfies us. And so his care is not only comprehensive, but it's compassionate. Because he doesn't just want to keep us happy. He wants to grow us, he wants to see us flourish, he wants to satisfy us and he wants to give us joy in ways that we can never even imagine. That's who our God is. So he's not just going to check off this list of things that we think we want. Because if I'm honest, I would love a four-car garage with a Lamborghini, a Ford truck, and so many other things. And that would be great, and I think I'd be really, really happy right up until that insurance payment would come around and I'd have to sell my entire house in order to pay for them. But instead of giving us all those things that we think we want in the moment, instead of just being a genie, God's a father. And he comes to us in those moments and he says, I know what you think you want. I know what you think is best. If you seek me first, I'm gonna show you what truly is. Come spend time with me, have faith in me, trust in me, and I'm gonna show you truly what really is best. And so that first point is have faith that your God is for you in his care. And then the second point is daily surrender your will to God. And uh, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live by flesh, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. And so what I mean by surrender is... It's not laziness. Surrender isn't this apathetic approach to life where we all of a sudden say, God's got everything. I'm good. I'm just going to go chill on a beach, and you're going to bring all this stuff over here because you're God, and bring it in. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. Surrender implies that there is another option. Surrender implies that there's a force that you're competing against. And what surrender means is that we know that we all have deep desires for our life. We all have these things that we think like, ah, oh, I need this. Like, God, don't take this from me. But what the text is saying here is, no, 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 God, it's no longer me who lives. It's no longer my desires. It's no longer my hopes, but it's yours. But it's Christ who lives in me and through me. And so now whatever I'm doing, the life I live, whatever I'm doing in this moment, no matter how much I want, things that I think I need, I'm going to live it by faith to you. I'm going to turn it over. I'm going to open my hands and say, God, use me. God, take this moment, whatever you have, I don't know what's best. So I'm going to trust you in it. And I think we go wrong in this area um, because we don't realize how good of a father our God is. I think so oftentimes it's really hard for us to picture what surrender looks like in a way where it's truly dying to ourselves, because God has met so many of those desires along the way. Because we've seen our life play out to where all of a sudden we're looking back and we're like, all these things that I've wanted have happened. So it must have been me. It must have been the fact that I cared about it. And we take it onto ourselves, and we think like, oh man, I really worked hard for that. I really studied hard in school, and now I've got this great job. I really did it all well, so now I have job security, and I'm in a community I want, and I feel safe, and we, we chalk it up to our effort. We chalk it up to whatever we've done, and we forget the fact that our God has already gave us this promise that he's going to look after us, and so we lose sight of his faithfulness and instead start thinking that our control actually has a benefit. We start convincing ourselves that, oh, maybe taking it in my hands actually really works. And then we have those moments where we realize, man, I was pretty wrong. Man, that really fell flat. And it was kind of a wake-up call. And so we then get to turn and recognize that it wasn't actually our control all along. And so we get to walk into this willing, daily surrender with our God. And guys, I'm gonna be honest, it's not a one-time thing. It's not all of a sudden be like, all right, God, you're good. Like, I'm never gonna have a competing desire again in my life. Like, that's just not the case. (laughs) Each and every day, I have to wake up and remind myself that my life is not my own. Whether it comes to singleness, whether it comes to job security, whether it comes to anything in my life, Like, until the Lord brought this job along, I was 26 years old working a part-time job. And so I didn't really have this sense of overwhelming control that things were going well in my plan. And the Lord graciously reminded me of that this past week, that I thought I had this plan, I thought I had it all laid out, and it just wasn't the case. And so now we get to walk Into a relationship with our God where we are trusting that He is this good Father. We are trusting that His care is everything that we need and that He's going to take care of all of our small things as well as those deep desires in ways that we may not even expect. And in that, we then get to trust, have faith in that goodness, and then surrender and say, All right, God, what do you ask of me? Where do you want me to go? Because I know I've got this desire. And I feel like if I stay here, I can make this happen. But I know that it's not up to me. So where do you want me to go? And so we surrender our will to God. Because the truth behind it all is that even if you never have another of those deep desires met for the rest of your life, even if you write out that list of unnegotiables, if you say, like, I need the wife, I need the house, I need this but you surrender and you say, all right, God, where are you taking me? You're not going to regret it. It's all worth it. Scripture is filled with page after page of servants of the Lord in the darkest moments of their life saying, God, you satisfy. Like, how is that possible? David writes Psalm 16, and it's one of my favorite psalms um, because it's a rejoicing of the Lord's goodness. And Psalm 1611 specifically says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the God who's asking us to die to ourselves. That's the God who's asking us to turn over everything to him. He's not overbearing. He's not coming to seek to be punitive with you. He's coming to say come and surrender to me because I'm going to do the best thing for you and I have the power to carry it out because you could live your whole life striving on your own, seeking to get everything on that list, seeking to check off every single box and you may even get it but in the end, it will never satisfy you because either A, you'll have to keep fighting to keep it or someone will come along who does it better and take it from you Because I fail. I fall short every single day. And if it was left up to my own devices, man, I can't even control my own day. Like I get get up, I drive to work, and there are days where it feels like I can't even get a red light to go in my favor. And so if we can't even control our own commute to work, somehow we've convinced ourselves that we can control the deepest, most important parts of our life. But if you turn and surrender that life to the Lord, you will have a joy that runs deeper than any gratified desire of this earth has to offer. That's what our God is calling us to in faith and surrender. Pray with me. Father, we love you. God, each and every day, we strive to sit on the throne of our own lives. Each and every day, we seek to make it our own kingdom, to make our lives about us. God, may you humbly remind us of how good of a father you are, that in each and every moment of our life that you are intimately caring for us. And God, you know all the desires we have. You know each and every way that we want to see things happen in our life. And God, you are such a kind and good father that you're working out our best in those desires. You aren't leaving us alone God, you made that clear when you sent your son to the cross that you will never abandon us, even in our yearnings and our hopes and our dreams. God, you will be there with us throughout everything. So, God, may we in this time, may you show us the ways where we are trying to hold on to our own lives. May you show us the ways where we try and fight for our own control. And God, may you give us an overwhelming assurance. That taking them out of our hands and putting them in yours is the best thing that could ever happen to us. God, we love you and we thank you, and it's in your Son, Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. Man, control can sneak up on us in so many different ways. It's easy to say that we don't struggle with control in every aspect because. At least for me, I don't value the smaller day-to-day aspects of my life in the way that I care about those bigger milestones that I've put my hope in for a long time. So when it comes to specific control over those things that we really care about, man, that gets tough to turn those over to God. Because those are things that we really want. We think if they're in our control, they have the best shot at getting done. But may we trust how good of a father our God is and know that he will take the best care of us. So we get to put our faith in him and surrender our lives to his greater purposes and walk with him as we find new life in serving him and see along the way just how good he is at fulfilling our desires as we live out that new life. So if you want to hear more about Renovate or just have someone to talk to, reach out to us at renovateftw.org or on social media, at Renovate FTW, and we would love to hear from you. That's all from us. We hope to see you again soon.